Hi, I'm Millie Thomas, an eating disorder recovery coach. We've created this podcast to raise awareness about all types of eating disorders and help dispel some of the many myths and stigma that unfortunately still surround them. It's hard for me to pinpoint where and when my eating disorder began. It feels like it's like a drug. You know it's bad because you know like this is hurting me but it somehow makes you feel like you're doing something right. He just couldn't sense that I was hopeless. You get to that point where you just you just don't know what to do. This is the End Eating Disorders podcast brought to you by Lockaway Self Storage and Podspot. I began rereading my diaries and actually it enabled me to grieve for the little girl that got horribly lost and I just wanted to take her hand and help her get get out of that terribly dark forest that she was lost in for so many years. You're enough, you're more than enough, and you will always be enough. My eating disorder started at seven. It's been a long and at times slow process. <sighs> the eating disorder's in charge, and your daughter's not there. There is hope at endad.org.au. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today I'm joined by the incredible Australian Olympic swimming star, Emily Seabom. Emily has achieved so many amazing accolades over the course of her career so far, including being a three-time Olympian, five-time Olympic medalist, and five-time world champion. At the beginning of this year, Emily bravely opened up to the world about her eating disorder battle, and we are thrilled to now have her as an NDED ambassador. Today, for the first time, we're going to delve deep into Emily's journey with her eating disorder. Thank you so much, Em, for coming up and being here with me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to share more of my journey. So firstly, for those of you, for, for people that don't know who you are, can you just share a little bit about who you are as a person and what you do? Okay. Uh, so basically, I've been in swimming my whole life. My mum, uh, she teaches learn to swim, so she taught me and my brothers how to swim basically in our backyard pool. Uh, When she was coaching, we were doing lessons. At first, I hated swimming. I really hated it. Um, But obviously, loved competing, loved winning. Um, That's where my drive came from. I've been on the Australian team since I was 14. Um, Outside of swimming, I love horse riding, so I have a horse. Um, I'm a typical girl, so I like shopping, makeup, and doing my hair. So (laughs) it doesn't really work with swimming, but outside of swimming, I'm... Yeah, a different person. I love that. I didn't realize that it was such like family thing and your mum with the learn to swim and stuff. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, no. So it was really good. And um, me and my brother, like one of my brothers were actually really close that we were always in the same group. And when we were training together, we'd duck dive and then like, like ninja kick each other and then come back up and then swim another lap. So it was pretty fun growing up, like having brothers really close that I could yeah. swim with them and race them. And, you know, when we weren't like actually doing lessons on the weekends, we were all playing in the pool. I love that. Your mum yeah. and dad must be so proud of you. Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> so can you give our listeners a little bit of insight into your eating disorder journey? How did it start? Um, you know, how, how did it feel? How was it trying to, to, to battle with it whilst you were, you know, competing at this elite level? Yeah, so um, basically I went through a really messy breakup um, towards like the middle of 2018. Um, and just because of that, like as most people do, like you're just super stressed out and super sad and depressed and um, you know, for a while I just like couldn't really like muster up the courage to get out of bed and do things and I lost a bit of weight because of that. Um, and then, you know, when I went back to training um, and started trying to really like train up for competitions, I was still um, like pretty low on my body weight and, um, you know, I got lots of comments on how good I looked and um, what was I doing. I looked amazing and I remember like that that end half of 2018 just being like really sad that people thought I looked really healthy and looked really happy and like inside I was like really like just not there like I just like didn't want to do things I was like lethargic I I actually remember we we had a meet um 
later in that year after Com Games, Pampax in Tokyo, and we had um, a trial meet to make that team. But if you won gold at the Com Games, you were pre-selected onto that team. So I was already pre-selected. So we were just basically going down to Adelaide for this meet. Um, for me, it was just about competing. It wasn't about making the team because I'd already made it. So I remember flying down and my mum and my youngest brother came with me. And I remember racing day one, I just entered like something random because um, there was nothing really else on that I wanted to do and I just wanted to do something different. So I think I did the 100 breaststroke and then, yeah, I got so many comments on how amazing I looked and, you know, people going, wow, what are you doing different? And then I remember going home that afternoon after the morning session and just being like to mum, I don't want to do it. I don't, I don't want to go back this afternoon. Like I just don't. Like, I don't want to do it. Like, I don't feel like going there. Like, I don't want to put on a brave face in front of everyone. And uh, she said, okay, like, then I spoke to my coach and then he was like, oh, sounds like you have depression. Like, and I was just like, well, no, I just like don't want to swim. Like, there's nothing wrong with not swimming something. I've swum every meet since I was a child. So... Um, I ended up pulling out, didn't swim, um, ended up going ice skating, um, with my mum and my brother and had the most best time with them and like completely wasn't thinking about swimming at all. And it was so lovely. And then the next day we flew home and I went back to just like trying to muscle up to go to training again. And I returned to normal, like obviously after a breakup, it takes a bit of time to get back to regular life and being able to do things and like eating well and and all that sort of stuff. So once that started coming back, I think I had one more competition after Pampax, um, which was World Short Course, and I did pretty well. My weight had gone up a little bit. Um, and then obviously Christmas came that year and – then that net, like obviously we had time off over Christmas. I think we had like two weeks or three weeks off and I came back and I was probably at the weight that I'm normally at. And then all the questions started happening like, oh, how come you put on weight? And I was like, well, I wasn't swimming. Like I wasn't doing anything. I was, you know, letting my body relax and have a break and um, yeah, so the questions started from there and from then on it was just nonstop. Like you need to be this way to swim this time. Like there's no other way you can do it. We can't make you swim any faster without losing the weight. We can't train harder. We can't do anything different. There was literally, they were saying there was nothing I could do to go faster than to lose weight. And uh, for a while I was just like, fuck that. Like I'm not doing that. I don't need to lose weight. Like I've always been this weight. Like I was this weight when I went my best time in 2012. I was this weight when I won, you know, world championship twice in the same event. And I was just, I was so confused. And like I don't know, like I actually am disappointed with myself that that I fed into that, that I believed that. And, um, like I think of it now and I think, oh fuck, as if that's the only way you can swim faster (laughs) is to lose weight. Like, honestly, there's like, there's probably a hundred different things you can do to swim faster and weight loss is probably pretty low down that list. Like it's not high on that list. And, um, yeah, for a while I was just like, oh, fuck that. Like, I'm not doing that. I don't need to do that. And I'd go to mum and dad's and be like, oh, he's still on about like weight loss again, that I need to be this. And they were like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, you've been this weight since you were 16. Like, it doesn't matter. And then, yeah, for, for a while it was, you know, fuck that. And then I don't even know when it switched to just like looking at myself in the mirror and being like, hmm this can be improved, that can be improved. And then stepping on the scales and being like, okay, why am I not seeing below this anymore? Like why, why can't I get back to what I was when I like went through that breakup? So it, it kind of slowly started like that. And then, you know, it got to a stage where I was probably like weighing myself before I went to training, after I came home from training, after breakfast, after lunch, before I went to training in the afternoon and before I went to bed at night. 
and I was just trying to make like changes all the time. Like, where can I get little bits? Where can I change something? It went from like exercising normally, like just doing my training sessions that I'm meant to do with swimming to over-exercising to the point that I would go to training the next day and just be so tired because I just didn't have anything else left to give. It went to it went from like, you know, eating um, three meals to – or like eating three meals, big meals, and then snacking during the day to no snacking during the day at all. Then it went from three big meals to two big meals and having little snacks to get through the middle of the day. And then it went from – just having a tiny breakfast and then trying to save on for dinner until I was so hungry that my dietitian explained it as, are you as hungry as like if you saw something, like a, like if you saw a cow, would you eat the cow? And I said, yeah, almost every day I'd eat yeah. the cow. That's yeah. how hungry I would make myself. Yeah. And then when I was that hungry, I would honestly just go into my pantry and be like, what can I eat quickly? And normally it was like it would be chips, it would be lollies, it'd be something that I could just have straight away that I didn't have to wait because I couldn't even wait. That's how hungry I would be. And then after that I just felt so guilty. I was like, I don't deserve this. Why would I do that? Like, you know, I'm trying to lose this weight. Like I can't be eating this stuff. And then I'd go and make myself sick because I was like, I can't have this in my stomach. Like this is going to add so much weight to me. Yeah. Pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. But unfo- un- unfortunately, it's, you know, an all too familiar story in terms of, you know, someone saying something and then for a while brushing you brushing it off, but then eventually it gets to you. you know? yeah. And you start off with those little things. It was very, very similar for me, you know, just starting off with, oh, well, I'll just have a little bit less here and I'll just do a little bit more here. And then before you know it, you are just so deep into it. Um, and you know it's not logical and you know it's not right, but you can't stop yourself either. Mm. Um, and, you know, in the incessant weighing, like, I mean, you know practically that that, you know, weighing yourself that many times a day is just ludicrous because, yeah. you know, we know that our weight fluctuates, right? Yeah. But at the time it's like, well, no, I have to do it. And then you, then it becomes more and more each day. And I just I resonate with that so, so much. And, I mean, was it really, really – like you must have just been depleted, right? Like just felt so, so exhausted. And like when you're having milk before bed and then getting up and like training, you'd have been, you'd have been in huge training sessions. Like yeah. were there moments where you were halfway through training where you were just like, I just can't go on? Or did you always manage to push yourself? Yeah. Um, yeah, like it was pretty intense. Like going to training was really hard at times too because – we would get weighed on pool deck in front of all the boys in our togs. We were getting skin folds every like two weeks. And then we were getting those um, like full body dextrosins every like three months. So we were getting them constantly. So there was, I feel like there was always like something happening and like, you know, your skin folds, you were getting your weight in the afternoons, like before training, it got to a point where like, it was hard to like mentally prepare to go to training because I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, you know, I'd weigh myself before I went to training so I could prepare for what I was going to see at training. And then when I didn't see something that I liked on the scale, I was like, oh shit, like how am I going to go to training this afternoon? Because like, I'm going to have to like, listen to someone say something about it or Like, yeah, so it got to that stage where it was like really uncomfortable to go there, but I could always, I could always push through a set. Now that's not saying that I did a great job. It was just, I always could finish it, but I was always so tired. Like, you know, like I had nothing else to give. Like I could tell that I was lethargic, that I was tired, that I wasn't like, I wasn't swimming anywhere near my best, but I was pushing through it. Yeah, that, that sheer determination. I mean, yeah. like, we definitely have that inbuilt, whether we're channeled into the eating disorder or to training or whatever. It's like, no, like, we're going to finish. Yeah. But, you know, how did it, if you were to describe to someone, like, how you felt in those moments where, like, you know, the weighing was at its height, the restriction, those overwhelming feelings, like, how did it feel to you? Like, how were you feeling internally? Yeah, I mean, it was really hard, like, going to training. Like, a few times I would cry before training just because I already knew 
that the result of seeing the weight wasn't going to be good. And mm. I was like anxious about that result. And I, I honestly, like, this is probably, like, it's probably bad to say, but I liked the eating disorder because it gave me so much control over my life. Like, you know, no one was telling me I had to do this, do that. It was like me doing it to myself. Like I could do something for me. Like it wasn't anyone else saying, oh, you got to do this, you got to do that. You got to, you know, I had people telling me to take a banana out of my daily um, diet. And I was just, I remember just being like, if I had another banana that I could lose, I'd lose a banana. But at that stage, I wasn't even eating bananas. Mm. Like I just, I'd completely like lost sight of, of, of good eating. Like I wasn't like the food that I was eating was okay, but you know, I was cutting out all those snacks, like all those fruit and veggies that you need. I was cutting out because I was so scared of putting on weight and I'd cut out bread and I'd cut out carbs. And I just think to myself, why the F did I do that? But I, I just, I liked having so much control over it. Like I actually liked that as much as that sounds so stupid. Oh, it doesn't sound stupid at all. It was a major part of the reason why I went down the track was like I wanted to have control. We had started this new school. I felt like completely out of control, right? Yeah. And it was this idea that I could control something and no one else could tell me, you know, otherwise. And at that point, yeah. no one sort of knew what was going on. But what I always say to my clients is like, you feel like you're in control, but I can tell you right now that you are so far out of control that you don't even know it. Um, And then there's that kind of weird dichotomy when you go into recovery of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose all control. And that actually it's you regaining control in that moment because it's all just this false sense of security of eating disorder wraps around you. But one thing I wanted to ask you is with the weighing, you know, in, in front of everyone, so was everybody's weights told, like, did you know what anyone else's weights like? Was it did you, did you find that hard in terms of like a comparison thing? Like when you're all there in your togs, like- yeah. I always wanted to know everyone else's like weight. Like I don't, I don't think it, like it wasn't like they would. You'd step on the scales and they'd be like seventy point two. Like they wouldn't yell it out; they'd okay. write it down. Okay. And you could easily go over there, which I did many times, and just looked at everyone else's and been like, oh, okay, like I'm on the higher side of this. Like, mm. you know, like it it yeah. really played into like that. And then it played into me when I went to meets then because then I would look at other people and be like, I don't look like them. Like I look different to them. Um, and I always felt like the biggest person on the pool deck. Like I felt like a really fat person. I all the time I just started getting so uncomfortable about being in my togs being on at competitions because I was like oh well there's no way I'm ever going to swim well because I'm so much bigger than all these other people here yeah yeah all the time (laughs) yeah it's so funny I look back at photos of my like when I thought that I was bigger than everyone and it's so funny now because I'm like oh clearly I wasn't but at that time it's so no one can tell you otherwise because you're literally seeing it with your own eyes and you're like no well this is how I look this is how they look yeah and it's different so therefore you know it must be real but when you're when your eating disorder has morphed and distorted your perception to that point it's so hard to believe the people that are telling you well actually this isn't reality because when you're actually seeing it with your own eyes you're like well yeah yeah. How could it not be? Yeah. Um, have there been moments where you felt hopeless and and, and just like, I, I can't go on. I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Yeah. So uh, I think, I don't even know when I started seeing the dietitian, but at that stage I was like, I had nowhere else to, I felt like I had nowhere else to go. Like, um. I wasn't losing any weight anymore. Um, my Dexter was actually like high, like on the higher side for me. And I was just getting constant pressure to lose this weight that I just didn't know how anymore. And I reached out to her because I was I, I was almost in tears when I rang her and I was trying really hard not to cry to her on the phone mm. because I just like didn't want to come off as like – I didn't want her to notice anything. I was just called her and said, hey, I got your number from another girl that was training with me at the time. 
and said, look, I'm getting this constant pressure to lose weight. I don't, I don't know how to do it anymore. Like I, I need some serious help. And, um, that was maybe like, I reckon it was like a month before our trials for, um, worlds in 2019 is, how long I made it to. I think that must have been like, it must have been like May that I made it. And I'm surprised I I made it that long because I was, yeah, in a pretty bad way by then. What, like, what kept you, what kept you going? What kept you thinking, okay, no, I can't, like, I can get through this. Was was there something, was it your parents? Was, was there or something inside of you going, no, I can get through this? Like, what kept that kind of fire and you going, no, I'm, I'm going to make it. Yeah, I think for me it was it was my swimming um, and it was, you know, like I've always had this dream to to make four Olympics and I was like that's, that, that is what I'm – that's what I've aimed for forever now. So it's like – it was like holding on to that and I felt like, yeah, at one point I probably only had like fingernails left on that because I had lost that much of myself through this eating disorder. Like I just didn't even know myself. It's like that, isn't it? Yeah. You just go from, well, you're just a shell of yourself. Yeah. Because it just takes over it. Like it literally just takes out your soul and just transplants itself in there. And you're just sort of this, I don't know, I always like, feel like a puppet. Yeah. Just going along doing life. Yeah. I felt like... Um, I could never sit still. I could never just relax. I felt like I was always constantly, whether it was thinking about doing moving or it was actually going to the gym or it was, you know, walking or it was running or it was that I'd always be constantly thinking or moving. Like I never really stopped and just relaxed because I just felt like I didn't deserve to do that. Like it wasn't I wasn't meant to do that. I needed to keep going. I couldn't stop. It's such a slave driver, isn't it? Yeah. And you're constantly on edge. Yeah. And then the moment that you do stop or allow yourself to stop, then the guilt that you have to deal with and the thoughts that you have to deal with, it's almost like I remember thinking to myself, oh, this just isn't worth it. I wish I'd just kept going. Yeah. Even though you're tired and you don't want to, it's like, oh, well, I'd just rather because then I have to deal with the mental crap that gets thrown at me. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. What was, what was one, like, when you, when you went public with the mm-hmm. story, what was the catalyst for that? Um, so at the end of last year, um, I would I heard about Jamie, um, who had passed away, um, with her eating disorder um troubles, and that really hit home to me that this can take over your entire life, that you can, um like get to a point where your body just can't recover. And I was kind of just like, oh, shit. Like if I don't sort myself out, then I'll, I'll never be able to get rid of this. Like I lost my period for maybe a year and a half. And I actually cried when it came back because I was like, no, I don't want it to come back. This means I'm getting fat. And like I had to have a lot of talks with my dietitian who had been through the same thing about like – dealing with it coming back because she was like, I know like you'll think it's really bad that it comes back, but it's really healthy if it does come back. And uh, for me, like I obviously like as a woman, I feel like you've got that motherhood in you, inside of you, whether you want kids or don't want kids. And I'm, I've always been surrounded by kids. So I've always had that nurturing nature inside of me. And I, didn't realize how much of an effect it could have on me later in my life if I do want kids or if I, you know, go down that path that this could destroy that side of that. And I really just didn't notice that until my dietician started saying that and she had to keep saying it because, you know, like I was like, oh, my period's back. Like this is so sad. Like I've kind of enjoyed not having it but also you don't realize how unhealthy it is if you don't have it. And yeah, that was, that was a big thing for me, um, getting that back. And then that came back and kind of like your life is kind of like almost starting again. Like you're going through everything again for the first time in a long time. So it's like a big, it's like a big deal. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like just, 
things like that um, and realizing the impact it had on my life. Um, I think I, I told my mom, uh, it was like during our trials um, because I was just like, you know, I wasn't swimming good and um, I felt like everyone was looking at me because I was fat um, and, you know, we – she said, oh, do you want to come walk the dogs? Or I don't know how it happened. I went with her to walk the dogs one afternoon and my dietitian had like said to me, oh, you need to, you need to tell someone else, like someone else needs to know other than me. Like I, you need to tell your mom, like she's not going to be angry at you. But like my fear was telling my parents that they would feel like they did it to me. I didn't want them to feel like they did something wrong because they had done nothing wrong in, like, my opinion. They, you know, they invited me to dinner. They asked me to come over. Like, it wasn't anything they, that they had done, and I didn't want them to feel like they had done me wrong. Yeah. So that was really hard, uh, telling my mom, And I was just hoping that she told my dad, because I didn't want to have the conversation with my dad. It was hard enough telling my mom. So after that happened... Um, I started getting, you know, little by, little by little, I got things back and I felt more in control. And, um, yeah, at the end of the year, um, when Jamie passed, I was just like, fuck, if I don't sort myself out, I'll never sort this out. Like, I'll never be able to get rid of it. And, yeah, that's why I went public because I was like, the more people that know, the less control the disease has over me. Um, and I feel like, you know, I couldn't just go to the toilet and be sick without anyone thinking, oh, where's she going type thing. Whereas when everyone knows it's a bit, it's a bit, it's not so secretive anymore. It's not a secret. You can't hide it. People know. So yeah, I mean, it was easy when no one knew because you could just go, go somewhere and be 10 minutes and then come back and pretend like nothing had happened. And it was easy. The hard part was, yeah, telling people and then the secret wasn't a secret. Yeah. And there's such in that I mean yeah I think it comes down to that power of vulnerability right you put yourself out there and you say hey this is the deal and and then from that point on you own your story yeah you know this is me and yeah this is what I've dealt with and I'm not ashamed and here I am and I'm gonna beat this thing um but there's such a power and other people knowing as you say because then the disease has so much less control because, of course, it just wants us to be isolated and us to be able to engage in those behaviours without anyone knowing. As you say, it's easy. Yeah. Easy when no one blinks an eyelid or no one yeah. knows. Yeah. Was it, but was it like a hard decision for you to come to that, okay, I am going to go public with this? Like, did you worry that it was going to affect your career? Um, Not so much my career. I just, there were probably like still people that didn't know. And I was more scared about um, that those people that knew me but didn't know. Um, I was more scared about their opinions of that judgment, like what they thought about it. Like, oh, why didn't she tell us? Like more scared of that than anything else. But um, honestly, I think I cried writing it. I cried posting it and I cried every time I read someone's message back. So it was it was an intense couple of days. I spent most of it just crying, even though like it, it. I don't even know if it was just like sadness or like the lack of control that I had, or like reading back how bad it was and just being like, "Oh shit! Like, why did I do that to myself for so long?" Were you surprised at the outpouring of of messages and people getting in touch with you? Yeah, uh, I was. I didn't expect uh, so much. I received like hundreds of messages and then there was I think like 500 comments on that photo and it was just like insane. Um, and the first few the first few hours I was like, oh, you know, not that many people have seen it. I could take it down and pretend that didn't happen. But the longer I left it up, the better I felt. And the more people had messaged about their daughters or their sons or someone they knew. And I was just like, wow, this is just like, this is everywhere. Like it is like a grapevine. It's like entangled into everyone's life somehow. And I was just like, okay, like leave it up. You'll be fine. 
And yeah, I mean, I'm super happy that I did it. I'm super happy that I left it there. And I'm super happy that so many people could reach out to me and um, whether it was support or whether um, it was someone saying, oh, I've, I'm going through the similar thing. Or if it was a parent saying my daughter is struggling with something similar. Um, yeah, it was, it was actually really inspiring. Yeah. And I like, I'm just so proud of you for doing it because well, I think the more people that do it and the more people, I mean, more people regardless that do it and speak up about it, that's so, so important, but especially people that do have a profile because when you do that and you do it unashamedly and you just stand there and you go, yeah, this is me, then it helps other people who haven't come forward, who haven't told their family, their partners, their children, whatever, and they go, well, you know what, I, I need to do that. It's it's okay because I think there's still such this shame and stigma around it. And so you're literally helping to bring it out of the shadows and into the light, which is, you know, I mean, that's what I'm all about. It's what this podcast is all about. It's it's so, so important because we can't have people thinking that they have to suffer in silence because there's, you know, something wrong with having had to deal with an eating disorder. Yeah. I mean, I didn't realize, yeah, how many people, how many people's lives it, it impacted until um, I posted that. And yeah, I mean, mum and dad came over not long after that. And I'm like, oh, are you okay? Like, yes, mum. Like, you know, I'm fine. Like, you've seen me. Um, so it was quite interesting cause I felt like they hovered for like a week after that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it, it is the hardest step is coming forward and saying that you're struggling and that you need help. Um, but once you do that, everything else from there is, is pretty easy. Like that is honestly, that's the hardest part. Um, and it was the hardest part telling my mum like physically telling my mom, like it was easy, it was easy telling someone I didn't know, like my dietitian. Um, but yeah, it was super hard telling my mom. But after I, after I did that, I felt like I had some more of my life back. Yeah. Before you going public, did like, did your coaches know, you know, no, in the swimming world, did you have support around you regarding this? Um, so obviously I had moved programs after, um, after I didn't make the team in 2019. So after our June trials, I moved and, um, switched to Michael Boll on the Gold Coast, um, and told him, um, and my dietitian spoke to him and that, that was hard, um, to tell him, but I had the dietitian telling him also. So it wasn't just like, Hey, like it wasn't just me trying to like, you know, say something. I felt like there was someone else that had my back that could support it. That wasn't just like, Oh yeah, she's just saying that type thing, which is some, sometimes how I felt. Um, I told a few people that I had trained with at my last program and it ended up, um, being spread around and I got really hurt by that because, um, it was something really personal to me and I didn't want, you know, I kept telling people, I was like, if I wanted everyone to know, I would have told everyone, but I didn't. I wanted you guys to know in case you were feeling the same way that you could come and talk to me about it. So I got really hurt by that. Um, so that probably, you know, stepped me back a bit, um, on telling other people. Um, so yeah, my coach knew and then he, had spoken to um, the dietitian who had then spoke to the Swimming Australia dietitian just to make sure that he was on the same page. But I was more comfortable staying with my female dietitian. I don't know. I had, um, I had a, like, I just had this thing in my head that if I saw a male about it, that it, it was like going to be a bit pathetic that I would okay. be looked at as like, oh, you're a bit pathetic that you feel like you have to do that type thing. So I felt more comfortable staying with my female dietitian. So I worked with her. I was seeing her maybe like twice a week or every every week um, just to stay on top of it. And she made me more accountable with, the, with making a food diary. And then I actually had to write in when I was sick. So that made me more accountable because I was like, oh, I don't want to write in. I'm sick every day. Like, you know what I mean? So I felt like she took a little bit of control away from it because then I had to actually write down when I was sick. And um, 
And then I had to show her my diary with all the things that I had eaten and where I was being sick throughout the day. And, um, you know, it got to a stage where, you know, it was only like instead of being every day, it was three times a week. And she was like, if we can get that down to two times a week. And then it was two. And then she was like, okay, now we've figured out some triggers that, make you feel like you have to do that so let's try and avoid doing that and a lot of them was like you know celebrational things like birthday cake or things like that would trigger me because it was a dessert and I've always felt like I couldn't have good things that I only needed to eat really clean and really healthy and I wasn't allowed to have an ice cream or you know birthday cake or whatever whatever it happened to be so um, we took or we tried to take them away or um, we tried to make them smaller so I would be okay for me to have that because I was like, oh, it's only really small, I can eat that, that's fine. Um, and then, yeah, so it, it went to that and then it got to a stage where, you know, um, writing on lines, so writing my food diary out, like writing breakfast, snack, snack, whatever, lunch, dinner, snack, Writing that out on the lines, um, I would tell her like, oh, it's really hard to see so many lines being taken up with food. That was a that was a real trigger for me, seeing like all the different lines it would take up in a day. So she said, don't worry about the lines, just like write all the food out in one line if that makes you feel better. Yeah. Like not writing it on every different line once I'd had a snack or when I'd had a, a meal or something. So you know, it was little things like that that really kind of took time to work through and realising the pattern and the routine of, of yeah. when things would go wrong. So that was that was probably the most helpful thing I did. Like I'm so thankful that I rang her when I did because I don't know how much longer I could have lasted off what I was doing and not seeing it. When, when you're not seeing what's happening, like I don't know, you you've almost got a blind eye to it. I didn't. I wasn't sick five times today. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like you <laughs> know, you happen. were sick five times, but you like unless you can actually see, like you know, write it down. Shit, I was sick five times today. Yeah, you know it's what I mean. So you it was in the face. yeah, it's like concrete. It's, it's there, bad. and then you had then had to go show someone that it was just like wow. Yeah, it's almost always like that accountability piece, isn't it? Yeah, which often I think people find so helpful having a coach is. As, as in like an eating disorder coach yeah. is is because there is that accountability, right? Well, I know I'm going to have to tell Mill that I didn't have the snack or I did purge or whatever. And there is a sense of like, okay, well, I don't really want to tell her that I, I want to tell her that I, I did it all. Yeah. And so I think that's that can be really helpful for people. And I think it's really interesting that whole thing about the lines, isn't it? Fascinating what yeah. our brains latch on to it's like yeah. okay we'll just write it all in one line then if it's about the line yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no it was it was super interesting and like there was a point where I was training and I, from when I was young I've always had something to eat as soon as I got up in the morning like that was just something that I did because I always got hungry by the time the session finished and it got to a stage like when I was deep in my eating disorder that I would just not eat before training because I thought it would burn more fat and I yep. always wanted to wake up hungry. If I didn't wake up hungry, there was something wrong. Like I w- almost wanted to go to bed hungry, wake up hungry, and then train hungry because I was like, oh, think of all like all this fat that I'm burning because I'm so hungry and there's like it's burning so much fat. And I think to myself, that's so retarded, <laughs> so retarded. Are there? We talked about losing your period. Are there any other sort of lasting physical implications that you've got from your eating disorder? Um, I feel like definitely have trouble like appreciating my body for what it is. Definitely still struggle with that a lot. Like looking in the mirror and being like, oh, you look great. Like I just can't do that yet. Yeah. I don't know. Like it's probably something that's always been there. Like always seeing something different to what other people see. And Mm. like, I don't know because people will say to me all the time, like, oh, you look really good. Like you look really fit. And I'll just be like. Oh, I don't, I don't think so. Like, I don't look that good. But then, mm. like, yeah, like, I don't appreciate what's there. So, like, that is super frustrating because I know one day I won't have this body. 
that I won't look like super fit like this. And I'll go back and I'll look at photos and be like, fuck, I was so fit. Like I, I was so like muscly and I looked great for what I was doing. And yeah, I just don't appreciate that. Yeah. And isn't it interesting because you, you can recognize that, hey, I don't appreciate it and gosh, I'm going to regret this because I'm going to look back and think, wow, um, I had all that and I just don't appreciate it. But I think one of the things um, I always say to clients is, is, as you say, like our bodies, everyone's going to age. And I think this intense focus on what we look like uh, is just so, I mean, it's just so wrong because at the end of the day, we're not got, like our bodies really are the vessels for us to to live life in, right? It's not about how they look. It's about what they allow us to do. Yeah. Um, you know, thinking about like how we can hug people, what we can, and for you, obviously, what you can achieve in sport. But I think when there's just this focus on appearance, and I mean, we're taught it from a very young age, right? You're always complimenting, oh, you look so pretty. Oh, doesn't she look cute? Or whatever it is. Yeah. But I think, and what I'm big about is let's shift that focus. Let's shift that focus to, hey, you, you're so lovely, you really make me laugh, or um, I really yeah. enjoy being around you, or I love the kind of conversations that we have, rather than it being around, oh, yeah, you look really, really good at the moment. Like, people do it all the time. Like, have you lost some weight? Or, yeah. You know what it's like, and especially in, that, in, in the field that you're in, it is, there is that hyper, hyper focus. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think it's actually really, really toxic. Yeah. I mean, I live for you look great. Have you lost weight? What are you doing different? I live for that. And it's like super sad that like I get so much um, joy out of hearing that. Like it honestly will make my day. And there was a time like when I was in in my eating disorder that if someone didn't say that in a day, like you look good, like what have you done? Then I'd be like, oh my God, like obviously I'm so fat. Yeah, I have to try harder. Yeah. Must, must try harder. Yeah. Like yeah. that would like that would ruin almost ruin my day if someone not saying that. But it would make my day if someone did say, like, Oh, you look great. Like I that honestly I'd go I'd have a really great day because of that. Mm-hmm. And that and that's not okay. It's not okay at all. It's madness. And it's like it's that again, it's that external validation and it's caring so intensely about what somebody else thinks. Right. Yeah. And and I was exactly the same. I used to, and if, you know, if people didn't look, I was like, oh, well, clearly I'm not thin enough then. And it's yeah. it's it's warped. It's absolutely warped. But you do you thrive off that because you know that you're doing a good enough job. You're like, yeah, yeah I'm doing this well because people are noticing. Right. Yeah. The moment they don't notice, then oh, well, clearly I'm not. You know doing it hard enough yeah so here we go what else can I do yeah I mean I think the problem becomes when you like I don't know how much more I can do I can't push myself anymore and I'm not getting yeah and you just go down that absolute rabbit hole yeah do yeah. you think that athletes are more susceptible to eating disorders and and body image issues yeah I mean this one's hard because I feel like Nowadays, um, let's say athletes back in the day when social media wasn't around, yep. probably, yes, um, athletes more than your everyday person. But I feel like now because of social media, I feel like athletes aren't more susceptible to any other person in normal day life because Instagram and Facebook and Twitter are so big. Yeah. It's so big and it and it's not like just a matter of like, you know, your coach saying something it could be the girl you go to school with. It can be someone commenting on your photo. Like it, it like it can happen from like anything, like anything mm. could spark it. Um, and I think, yeah, being an athlete, it's hard because you're always compared to other people that are around, other people that swim, other people that do your sport that might look different. Like yeah. it's, it's really hard. But again, like I don't think we've seen one like – you know, 10 bodies are the same. Like there's not one body that will look like my body. There's not one body that will look like, um, you know, a Sarah Sostrom, like another great swimmer. Like we don't have the same body. And that doesn't mean that I'm not a great swimmer because my body's not like her body. And, you know, like if we take all the medalists at an Olympics, not one of them has the same body as someone else. So why is one body better than another body? And what's, like what is the – where is the science saying that a body sh- needs to be this way? Because we're all different heights. We're all different races. We're all different. 
we've got all got different genes. Like we're all going to be built differently. So where's the science for that specific person? Like there's no science for just you. Like it's just a broad science. I completely agree. And I think it was one of the biggest things for me was realising I cannot change my genetics. I can spend the rest of my life trying to manipulate myself to be something that I'm not destined to be or I can just embrace the body that I was given um, because it's just such a waste of time and energy. You've just got to embrace what you've got and this is you. Um, and if people have got an issue with it, that's their problem. But spending this exorbitant amount of time and energy on trying to change something that is literally your destiny is just really sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's really hard to go through, I think, like being so in that public eye, like especially for me, like I've I've done so many great things throughout my career and then to almost forget about everything that's come before that and just say, no, 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 yeah, I do need to be like this thin to be this good. Well, if I go back two years, apparently I wasn't that thin, but I was winning gold. So what, like what, what changes in a couple of years? Like nothing. Oh, uh, yeah, it's super interesting. Did social media uh, have a part to play in the development of your eating disorder? I would say no, but I think you're always impacted by what you see. Yeah. So I think it probably did, but I didn't notice that. Like, I don't think that was the starting point. I think it was a comment and then you kind of notice everyone else being really thin. I think before that I didn't really care. Whereas when, as soon as someone says like, oh, you need to lose weight, then I feel like all I saw was skinny people. Yeah. That's all I saw. Yeah, and you really went down that comparison trap. Was it just with other swimmers or was it with other athletes or people in general? Was it the whole? It was kind of just everyone. Yeah. Like at, at, at first, like when I was at training, it was comparing myself to everyone else. Mm. When I wasn't at training, it was then comparing myself to everyone else still. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like wherever I was, I was like, okay, looking around, who do I look like in this? Do I look skinnier than that person? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was a constant trap of like, what do I look like comparing myself to everyone else? And even when um, my dietitian said anorexia, you have anorexia, that sounds like anorexia. I was like, no, I'm not skinny enough for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I was like, no, anorexia is like real skinny people. That's not me. Like, I, I was like, no. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I went home. I was like, no, I don't have that. Like I'm not skinny. And this is one of the reasons why we're doing podcasts like this because people need to understand that eating disorders don't have a look, right? Yeah. You know, people do not have to be underweight to have an People do not, like, it's binge eating disorder is the most common eating disorder. And people, unfortunately, because of what the media has perpetuated over the years in terms of images that accompany eating disorder stories, where it's primarily a thin, underweight um you know, white female, Yeah. then that is what people think, oh, well, I don't look like that, hence I must not have an issue. And I think it does prevent people from reaching out for help and getting, getting the treatment and support that they that they need and they deserve because they think, oh, well, I must not be valid or worthy of that help because my body doesn't fit that, you know, yeah. ideal. A hundred percent, I thought that. I was just like, no, like I'm like, you know, I still have muscle on my body. Like, I'm not this dead thin person. Like, that wasn't me. I was like, I don't have anorexia. <laughs> I was like, that's not what I've got. But okay. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take the bulimia. But I, I was like, I'm not anorexic. Like, I was just like, I didn't say it to her. I was, But I remember going home being like, no. Like, anorexic no, people would be like the me. size of my, like, little finger. That's not me. <laughs> Like, I'm too big to have that. <laughs> what do you think needs to change in the sporting world to help mitigate the risk of athletes developing eating disorders? Um, honestly, I think the whole, um, like, I just don't believe being weighed all the time is appropriate, nor is it needed. Um, I think. Everyone can physically see when there's a change. Like you can see it yourself. Like if you've put on five kilos, like you can see it. I don't think you need people to be like, to really, you know, nail in at you being like, oh, why are you looking like this? And um, I think 
I mean, I don't think skin folds is a very good method. I mean, of of taking of thinking that you've got fat because every time I get my skin folds done, I feel like I've got really um like thick skin. Like I've got a, like a lot of skin. Like I can go around my body and pull off a lot of skin. And I think to myself, is that actual fat? Like how do we know that's fat? So I think that that's just like weird to me. Um, like, you know, when they do my, my thigh, I can actually feel the muscle that they're grabbing. So I'm like, well, how is this fat? Like, Mm. how is this actually just grabbing fat? How can we prove that? So I just, I just don't think that's an issue. I think like if you're swimming well and you're training well, what does it matter anyway? What you look like, it doesn't matter. Like I've seen, I've seen bigger people, I've seen smaller people, I've seen fat people, I've seen skinny people and they there's no like there's no magic recipe for winning gold just because you know they can all they could all do it. It's just a matter of how they're training. Like are they training good? Are they doing everything right? Are they eating the right things that's going to help them get to that level? Like I just don't see one body type for swimming or for sport in general, they're all so different and it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean one's not good and the other ones mm. needs to do something different. There's, I just don't see that. And when I was younger, like with my first coach, we never got skin folds. You know, we got weighed, but it wasn't over the top. It was, you know, it was, you know, it seemed really like good. Like I was a young kid, like I was, I was with him from 11 till like 18 and, you know, like I was fine in that time. I never really cared. You know, I saw the weight and I was just like, yep, that's it. Cool. See ya. Like didn't really, like there wasn't any comment about it. It was, you know, you weighed in, you wrote it down, you moved on with your day. You didn't really sit on that. And then when that changed to like, people then saying something when you weighed in, people saying you need to take this out, people saying you need to do this, you need to, um, what are you doing? Like it's, it was little things like that that then kind of rolls on and snowballs. And I mean, I, I can only imagine there's lots of other people out there in sport that do the same thing. And I, and my only hope is, is that someone can get them in time because you know you just feel so in so much control of your life when you're doing it and you don't even realize that's not you controlling your life and it's yeah it's it's hard to get out of and I feel like most people need a big sign to to just be like right there like and for me it was you know it was Jamie and it was the fact that this can take over your entire life and you could die you could die. Like, and I was just like, I'm not, I don't want to die. I was like, I don't, I don't want to die. I want to keep living. Like there's still so much I want to do with my life. And I was like, I'm going to fucking do it. I'm going to get rid of this thing and I'm going to do it. Yeah. Thank goodness. Thank goodness you made that decision because now you are going to help so many. Well, you already are helping so many other people to there will have been so many people that will have read your story and gone I'm going to my GP tomorrow or I'm going to finally tell my mum or whatever like you already are helping people do you feel like there needs to be more education for say coaches in that sporting fraternity around eating disorders so that they can, you know, pick up on warning signs, like identify them. And then also like, I guess, um, strategies in place for how to deal with people if they are going through that and then they are competing at that elite level, like how to support them through that. Yeah, I think a hundred percent that would be so helpful. And I think also like for me, I was didn't realize that you could get an eating disorder in your 20s like I felt like I like I felt like I was such an adult that like someone's opinion I wouldn't care about that I wouldn't get to this level and I think I was so surprised that at you know at 25 I can be so persuaded by other people's opinion of me that I could get an eating disorder from that so I don't think people realize how much 
that that word carries on other people. Yeah. And I think it's so important, especially in the swimming world, there aren't many female coaches. So it is yeah. it, it is a really hard conversation for a male coach to have with a female swimmer. Like it is mm. super hard. So I think that there does need to be like education on like how to say things better and like ways to th- say things that won't promote bad behavior and noticing when there is bad behavior. And like, w- when you say bad behavior, you're meaning like engaging in eating disorder yeah, behavior. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, I would eat, sometimes I would eat just before training because I knew as soon as I would exercise that I would vomit because I would, like it was right there in my stomach. Like that was something that I was doing and everyone just be like, oh, it's just a hard set. Like no one really, like everyone mm. was just like, oh, almost mm. like congratulations. Like you're working so hard, you're vomiting. I was like, yeah, because I ate 30 minutes ago. Yeah, so they're literally condoning the very behaviour that is just depleting your body. Yeah, instead of yeah. having a conversation, being like, hey, why yeah. why did this happen? It's like, oh, good job, you're working really hard. Yeah. It's crazy. That, that needs to stop, absolutely. I think yeah. all of the things that you've said in terms of the weighing and stuff like that, I think – that's a start in creating, you know, an environment that is safer for people. Because I think when we look at the rates of eating disorders, you know, going through the roofs, things have to change it in all industries. I think especially kind of in that sporting world, and even from what I've learned from you in terms of, you know, the lack of support that there is, I think it just, that has to change. Um, you know, it, it frightens me that there are young ones coming through, you know, the next generation of, of swimmers or runners or whatever it is that are going to be really susceptible, especially in this diet culture society that we have at the moment. Um, and they need support and they need people looking out for them because they don't realise that they're, you know, dipping into it. And yeah. before they know it, they're too far gone. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a real – I feel like it's a really quick transition – from yeah. hearing a comment to then you changing the way you do something. And then, yeah, before, like by the time you realize how far you've gone, you just like can't even see a way out of it. You're just like, well, i got to keep going now. Yeah. Yeah. What is the most valuable thing that your eating disorder journey has taught you? Um, I think for me it was realizing that I was in a toxic environment and being able to pull myself away from that. And like, it was, it was, you know, the people that I was surrounding myself with listening to the comments and feeding into that. And then I guess now that I'm out of that, being able to go back and be like, fuck, that was so bad. Like, why did you do that to yourself? Like I would never put my body through that again. Um, And I think the thing I value most is, is being supported by the people around me. I think like that is something that like my parents would probably die for me. They would die for me. I know they would. So I think like being able to realize that because I think my eating disorder definitely distorted the way I saw other people in my close circle. I think you just kind of pushed that to the side and you just kind of lived by yourself almost. And I think, yeah, that's something that I I value the most out of it is, you know, being able to share that experience with them. And what is, in your opinion, you know, the best way that someone can support someone who's going through an eating disorder uh, and also, you know, at training at that like elite level and and wanting to still achieve their goals, yet they're battling with this beast of a thing? How, How, what would you have wanted ultimately um as support um honestly I would have just loved in my environment it was just very it was you know it was the swimmers and then it was all our our staff was basically male I just would have loved a female in there because I feel like you know as soon as I found my dietitian it was just like light bulb because it was a female and I could really feel like I could relate to her Mm. I just had this really big sense of that a male wouldn't understand. Um, they'd see me as pathetic. They'd see me in this certain way. And, like, I remember crying to um, the to our team, like our, um, our guy that did our skin folds and just being like, I got, like, 
trying to tell him, but him not understanding that I was trying to tell him that I was really struggling. Like I was crying being like, oh, I, I just don't know what else I can do anymore. Like, you know, I'm trying really hard and him not really understanding. I just, if I feel like if there was a female there, it would have been different that, yeah. you know, a fe- female could really, he just couldn't sense that I was hopeless. Like he couldn't sense that I was at, like I had nowhere else to go. Yeah, you were at breaking point. Yeah. And, you know, it, you know, I would say that I said that to him and I just wish, like I feel like if my dietitian was there then, yeah, that it would have just been like, oh, shit, okay, like let's work on this. Whereas he just kind of was like, no, you're doing all right. Like keep going just little bit by little bit. And I was just like. You're missing the point. Yeah. <laughs> And I just felt like like then on I was just like, you know what, okay, keep going, keep going little bit by little bit, like you can do it um, until, yeah, like I actually rang the dietitian and was like, fuck, I need help. Yeah. yeah. What words of wisdom would you like to leave our listeners with, especially those who are still battling away in the trenches of their eating disorder? I think, yeah, um, Again, like the hardest thing was telling people, but and it and it's not saying like anything's easy in this journey, but once you tell someone, it's then easier to tell someone else. And then from then on, it gets easier every person you tell from there. But it's telling that first person and honestly, I thought I would I would have rather died than tell my mom. And it, it it just I don't know, like I just I just felt like she would just be like, you're ridiculous. Why would you do that? Like, I just, I don't know why. It was just like, I just felt like I had disappointed her that I'd done something. I knew, like, I felt like I'd done something wrong and I didn't want to know that I'd done something wrong. I wanted, I don't know. I don't know why that was really hard for me, but I found that really hard to tell her, I mean, it took me about an hour, I reckon an hour before I could work up the words to say because I was like, how do I say it? What do I say? Like, um, do I tell her everything? Do I tell her a little bit? Do, like, I don't. I didn't want to have a super big conversation about it. I just wanted to say it and then move on, like pretend it didn't happen type thing. But <laughs> Good luck with that yeah. one. <laughs> it was like dropping a smoke bomb, wanted to leave after that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that was – so hard for me but every person that I told after that got easier and easier and almost like easier to say that I had a problem where it was I felt like the first person it was really hard to say I've got a problem Mm. like my mom I've got this problem I'm real sorry but I got this problem but every person after that it was like easier to say that I had a problem it's like hey I've got this issue I really need some help like it was easier every time I said it and I think you just got to remember that yeah, that first bit's hard, but every time you deal with it after that, it gets easier and easier. Yeah, so reach out and speak up. A hundred percent. Yeah. You're amazing. <laughs> I am so proud of you. You are. You're truly incredible, you know, and not only everything that you've achieved in your career, but then to 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 be coming out with this and to wanting to help others and to have got yourself into the space that you are now. And I know it's still a journey, don't get me wrong, but you're doing such an incredible, incredible job. And I just take my hat off to you because as I said to you before already with with what you have um, been vulnerable with and authentic about, it's already helping people. Um, and it's only going to be more so. And I think you can be really, really proud of yourself and look back and go, yeah, like I did that. I owned that. And look at the flow-on effect uh, of that. And I cannot thank you enough for coming on board with us at Ended as our ambassador. We are so excited to have you on board. Um, and there's going to be so many exciting things that come from it, I know. And and thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming up here today and sitting down with me. I know you haven't really spoken a lot, um, you know, in depth about it. So it really, really means a lot to me that you have, you know, entrusted me in being able to, you know, sit here and be raw and real with me um thank you thank you for having me uh, it was nice to do it in a nice way I think you know a lot of the times I get uh the first few times I talk about it I get pretty emotional so it's 
It's nice to be able to talk about it openly and feel like I, it doesn't have so much control over my, my life. Yeah. Look out, world. Yeah. Im's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> this is the End Eating Disorders podcast, brought to you by Lockaway Self Storage and Podspot. Your financial support will save lives. Donate at ended.org.au. I always used to think like how can people not hear what's going on in my head 